Hello and welcome to this week's episode of EdBytes. I hope you've all had a productive week as we enter this final stretch of the term. I'm Dan, a first year PPE student and subcom member for the Careers in Education portfolio at Artsoc. I'm here with Maddie. Hey guys, it's me, Maddie again. I am a CNE director and I'm also a fourth year international studies and media student. For the people tuning in for the first time, the theme of T2 EdBytes has been all about careers and professional development. To follow along with this theme, today we are joined by Danny, the former 2019 Arts Society president who is also soon graduating. Danny, would you please introduce yourself? Hello everyone, my name is Danny. I'm in my final six months, so fourth year as well as Maddie, uh, doing international studies. Great, uh, it is so nice to have you here with us today. Thank you. <laughs> So jumping right into today's topic, uh, which we've called, Oh, the Places You'll Go, I'd love to talk about your thoughts and reflections as you approach graduation. My first question is, how prepared for the workforce do you feel as graduation approaches? What a loaded question to start us off, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's been a tumultuous journey, let's put it that. I was definitely not in the mindset of, I feel super ready to jump straight into the workforce throughout this last six months and also a, a majority of last year as well because uh, like many people with <laughs> international studies degrees, um, we had to go overseas and then we had to abruptly come back because of COVID. And so yeah. I think the disruptions to our degree and the nature of our studies has, I think, contributed quite a lot to how we feel about moving into the workforce. It's As it is, it's quite a open type of degree and to have that added uncertainty of not knowing when we might be able to head overseas again I think it's felt quite nerve-wracking and uh, yeah a bit discombobulating (laughs) but I think accepting that post-grad life is really different for everyone and quite a big adjustment and having good conversations with people about what that journey and that transition into postgrad life has looked like for them, I think really started to shift my own mindset and feelings about the nature of (laughs) finishing uni and heading into the workforce. Um, And it's definitely helped calm my nerves and just take things at my own pace. So at the moment, feeling quite good and quite grateful, uh, but definitely I felt very, very lost throughout the last six and 12 months. Okay. So a bit of everything. Just on yeah. that, with having conversations and talking to people, have you been consulting um, lecturers or staff just on mm. you know, the process? If you could just share a bit about that, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. I think throughout my degree, to be honest, I have always fostered really positive and productive relationships with all my lecturers and tutors. I think I've always had that kind of personality, was like that in high school as well. Um, And that's really helped, I think, just get the dialogue started in terms of thinking about how your current studies could translate into a potential career. But I think what I noticed in the last 12 months or so is lecturers and tutors are by nature academics and and often researchers. So their awareness or knowledge of the workforce is only limited to who they've personally interacted in their line of research or academia. So it's I think once I realized that it kind of prompted me to 
speak to people more in the industry and start to ask lecturers if they had any contacts or they had any ideas of what disciplines in this particular field might look like and then you having to follow up with that and doing a bit more research so I think whilst the university can have a great environment for you to connect with lecturers or academics that can direct you in a certain way I think especially in the arts and social sciences there's quite a high degree of self kind of snooping around that's really necessary um, it's not going to be I, I mean life overall but it's not going to be handed to you on a silver platter by any yeah. means oh that's really insightful thank you um, especially about the yeah. responsibility to go about it oneself that's I think mm. that that'll help a lot of us um, listening to this. Okay, uh, more about the preparation aspect. Uh, I was wondering, how did your experience as ArtSoc president contribute to your feelings of preparation? Yeah, um, it's something I've been reflecting on quite a lot. I have many, many applications that are sitting, you know, on my <laughs> laptop at the moment. And most of them, if not all, have been, you know, failed <laughs> applications, you can say. But I, I think... The way that I'd like to put it is um, a lot of the experience I was able to gain through being the president uh, were to do with teamwork and getting things done. So I obviously have been thinking a lot about what action words are associated with the things that I was doing, because to be honest, when you're talking to someone, maybe a recruiter or someone who's interested in potentially hiring you, they're not going to know what you've done in your role, whether or not you were the president or you were a subcom mm. member. Like, for all that they know, you are part of a university society, but so what? So I think that external kind of perspective in approaching my application really helped me to think about, well, what skills and what things were we actually doing to put together events or run initiatives or what's all the behind the scenes work that is behind a cover letter or a Facebook event, because there's so much correspondence and I'm sure the two of you can attest to that. Yeah. There's a lot of mess messaging, a lot of frantic calls, a lot of final, you know, AOKs. There's so much collaboration with society work and being able to talk about yourself, like saying, I have really good communication skills, but everyone under the sun is going to say that in yeah. their application. So attaching that to a tangible event that you're able to put together or a goal that the team um, was able to work towards, or we went through a really tumultuous time, a really tricky time of trying to gain momentum for X, Y, Z. And through continued processes of communication and adapting to unforeseen circumstances we were able to achieve xyz so i think the time that i had to think about um what my commitment with art society was like through um, the pandemic last year and i guess continuing on <laughs> today uh, i was able to kind of connect those dots rather than just simply saying i'm good at this just because i was the president yeah. Because you could be a fantastic leader um, just through writing it that you were a fantastic leader. Like, you have to really connect, I think, the skills to the type of initiatives you're working towards 
and what challenges you overcame to yeah because I think a lot of um, recruiters and people out there love the star method so the situation the task the action and the result and if you kind of follow that pattern with how you talk about your university volunteering experiences it puts a little bit more structure to talking about what you actually did as part of your role and it's a really really good way to utilize action verbs and small like dot points in your applications and it's helped me a lot right well what a fantastic response you just provided a perfect segue into (laughs) interviews um great but just before I do that, um, yeah, thank you. That was such an insightful response. I didn't even know about the STAR method. That's It's, um, it's everywhere. You'll see yeah, it pop yeah. up. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, very interesting how you, you connect the dots, as you said, and mm. attach those skills to events that actually happened. You had a very tangible role in. Oh, that's, um, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely another reason to get involved with societies because you can actually attribute to the to the skills to something you you actually did and made happen that's awesome yeah another thing actually just to add on yeah one other thing you do so much from being a subcom member to a director to anyone in exec is you communicate with external stakeholders like that is something that companies and organizations are absolutely needing from their employees being able to uh, appropriately represent your organization and kind of carry the values of the org and the company to other people that are not part of the organization. And the very nature of a lot of work that you do in the society is getting sponsorships. It's communicating with guests that are going to be on your panel. It's talking to alumni. It's communicating with other people within the department or your faculty and other people within the university. You're not just internally dealing with everything. Yeah, so it's constant reaching out. Exactly. And a back and forth and correspondence. So I think, yeah, that was a huge part of my role too. And I'm sure everyone in the society is, you know, doing that. So write that down yeah. on your resume and in your yeah. cover letter. That's it's a huge you thing. Hear that? You hear that everybody? Join Artsop. <laughs> Exactly. Chicken that's plug. the that's the moral of the moral of the story. <laughs> that's what <laughs> we really say. Join our talk. Uh, well, fantastic. Thank you. Um, so that leads us mm. to a question about interviews. Um, how do you like to prepare for interviews and networking events? Yeah, I think with interviews specifically, it's so nerve wracking. And honestly, through COVID, doing online interviews, uh, especially the ones that are recorded. Mm have been even more nerve-wracking because a lot of the time you have to control when you're going to record. Like they give you a space of five days for you to record and submit your interview. And, or I guess, or if you're doing a live interview, you're just like in your own space, you know, in your bedroom, right next to your bed, which has been the case for me. Yeah. Like it feels really weird. Your brain's like, well... I'm in this environment that normally isn't where you would do it, would be doing an interview. So you really have to kind of tell yourself to like get the nerves under control because it's a different type of nerve. I think when you have that much control with like when you can record the interview, but also like your space is so different. So I think one thing that really helped me was 
to not think about it too much and not overthink your answers and overly prepare. I think um, I myself, I'll have to say, I'm more of a natural speaker, so I don't really find um, publicly facing speaking things intimidating as some other people might be. But I think overall, if you're literally preparing every answer to a T, if there is a a random question that pops up that you just weren't prepared for, you're going to feel super, you know, off guard. And you're not doing group interviews in person. You're not doing one-on-one interviews where you have that natural bouncing off with whoever is interviewing you. So you're, you're in your room, you're all alone, and you'll get into your head so much more. So I think it's really important that you do have a good sense of preparation um, and an idea of what you want to say, especially to the typical questions about like why you want a particular job or what's a weakness or a strength of yours. Like those questions are really, really typical and it's always been the case. But allow yourself some leeway um, to respond to the questions. But that doesn't mean just completely walk in blind. I think part of the recruitment process and part of the application process requires you to think a lot about yourself and what indeed your strengths and weaknesses are, what experiences have led you to be the kind of character and person you are right now. So I think an interview is just an extension of that. So have those thoughts in your head, really own your narrative and what you want to tell about yourself. And I think those responses should really come from a natural and genuine place. And going back to the STAR method, (laughs) that is an absolutely fantastic tactic to use in interviews as well. Because if they ask you, tell us about a time that you faced workplace conflict, just, you know, talk them through the situation, what the task at hand was, what the action was, and finally what the final result was in that circumstance. So it's a great kind of way to filter through different things you want to put on your written application, but also a fantastic way to kind of mentally tick off things um, when you're in an interview. Because if you get nervous, you might kind of spitball, you might not really make sense, you might not kind of talk about something that relates to what you started with, you lose your train of thought. And so having that rough structure allows you to kind of tick off what you want to say and for it to relate quite specifically to the question that you're responding to. So a lot there, but um, yeah, just take a chill pill. It'll be okay. It's hard, but um, we all have to do it at, at some point. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, that's uh, that's great. Maddie, do you want to hop in there? Well, what an answer <laughs> to follow up on. Yeah. Um, I think especially in the past year, obviously any interviews... I have done, not that I am preparing for graduate Mm. roles or anything because my degree is a bit delayed, but um, online interviews are definitely a whole different ballgame to in-person interviews. Like Danny has mentioned, Mm. you can't pick up those cues as easily online. Um, It's a lot harder to gauge like energy levels, especially in a group setting as well, and to be able to bounce off uh like everyone else's energy levels so Mm. I found the online interview process very challenging but like Danny has said it comes down to the level of preparedness that you enter that interview with um 
I think any recruiter or any hiring manager, things that they really value are passion and how much they can see your eager to learn and bring to the company. So even if it's really just reading up on what the company is about, reading up on what is expected of you and having that sort of ingrained in your head as you go into that interview, I find that has always really helped with calming nerves as well. That's a really great response because I think for me, my struggle with interviews is finding the um, balance between being able to be spontaneous Mm. and clearly animated when I'm talking, but also the preparation. Um, But then again, the preparation, it obviously doesn't have to be pure formality because you want to be able to project yourself in a sincere way, um, in a way Mm -hmm. that will they will be able to respond Mm -hmm. to so i think yeah that's very useful to with the star method it Mm -hmm. allows you to structure the response but also be convinced of the legitimacy of everything you're saying and your own worth in this position and your character definitely i think what you two have said really speaks to Mm -hmm. character building in a professional sense yeah and storytelling because you're not necessarily yeah. listing yeah. something, you know, very point blank. You're telling a story, you're, you're speaking about a situation. Mm-hmm. And that kind of allows you to, because you, you're the expert in telling that particular story. Like nobody else knows it. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's like, coming sure, from a genuine CV, place but that's just of experience. A for who you are. How, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think a great thing Danny sort of touched on in her response was the idea of Mm. self-reflection as well. And to add to that idea of self-reflection, I think just having the confidence, like I know personally for me, I have the biggest imposter syndrome when I go to apply for jobs or anything, but it comes with self-reflection, I think after again you look through your own experiences and your own skills and what you've picked up on to this point in your life when you reflect on that it well I find that that reflection process has given me more confidence when I do go to apply for jobs and that confidence Mm. is honestly just really important when you go into an interview because again to some extent you're trying to sell yourself to this hiring manager So as long as you're confident in your own skills and abilities, a lot of people easily pick up on that. Mm. And it's something they also really value in a candidate. Next question. And this has been great so far. Thank you both so much. Danny, how much do you find yourself using apps or forums like LinkedIn? And how useful do you find them? Well, I can quite confidently say LinkedIn was a really useful tool for me to reach out to someone um, very like cold call. It was something a bit rogue. I hadn't done it before, but, um, this person has, (laughs) you know, really put different organizations on the radar for me and also just gives, gave me a lot of reassurance and still continues to be someone that I consider a, a mentor. And I think the more you put into crafting your LinkedIn profile, the more rewarding it will actually feel. But at the same time, I do want to flag that LinkedIn can contribute to a sense of toxicity as well. And uh, 
it can be a facade sometimes. So I think as someone who went through a period of feeling pretty down about themselves as people were posting about their flashy new jobs and updates, don't get sucked yeah. in to everyone's status updates because there was definitely a story behind it. And I think conveying that is so important that there's a story behind every post update on LinkedIn. If someone has just started a new job, which is actually the case for me, I'm starting a new position tomorrow or an extension of the position I've been in. I'm, I don't want to give off the impression that that came easily because it, it wasn't the case. Yeah. And I think you know, it's really hard to convey that unless you're writing an explicit post that you're like, guys, I just want to let you know. And I've I've definitely done that <laughs> with my previous, like, post about this position that I had gotten. <laughs> but you can't do that every time. So I think the yeah. remedy to that is perhaps all of us adopting a mindset that not everything you see on LinkedIn is rose-coloured and... Exactly. It's just like other social media yeah. platforms. Yeah. But now with the professional aspect to it. Yeah, it's definitely useful to remember in this situation that everybody's yeah. journey is so, going to be different, so different. In, the, in this space. And yeah, all the... When some people yeah. are just jacked with licenses and certifications yeah. and awards. Literally could mean nothing. It could I'll, just I'll mean give nothing. You guys a, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can give you guys a really funny example Speaking of LinkedIn, I think Whirlpool kind of comes hand in hand with that a little bit. So I had gone through a long process of applying to different grad positions and Mm -hmm. I actually don't have a Whirlpool account, but I just liked looking at the commentary (laughs) and just seeing when people have received their emails. And I remember when I was going through uh, an application process, I read someone talking about their credentials on Whirlpool and they listed everything that they had done in the last five years or so and asked people on that Whirlpool to help him determine whether or not he will get this position and I thought it was the most tone-deaf thing because like okay sure you want the validation of other people to tell you that your resume looks fantastic and you're so gonna get the job But what ended up happening was that person did not (laughs) move to the next stage. And they were saying, you know, oh, that's so sad. (laughs) Like, I thought I had the credentials. Like, so I think that's such a good example of how you just can't look into things that seriously. um, And just have a, you know, (laughs) a, a more chill perspective to it. And I know it's so much easier said than done. And I don't want to necessarily play into the trope of nihilism and just not uh, giving two hoots about anything. But I think everything in mediation, everything in moderation, that balance is stuff we talk about in terms of our lives. And I think it very much is the case for LinkedIn as well. I think it's a wonderful platform to connect with alumni and other people who would be in your industry and it gives you the chance to have a look at who's working for companies that you're interested in and potentially reaching out to them. It also is a great platform to encourage your friends in a professional capacity. It's a wonderful space for you to genuinely post about your achievements that you are proud of. And 
feeling supported uh, and also just to cheer others on as they navigate through their uh, professional journeys as well. But, you know, it's not everything. Same with social media. It's not everything. I think that's a lovely way to put it with with what LinkedIn is for. It's not just about jobs. It's also about celebrating uh, career advancement and, and opportunity. That's fantastic. Yeah, and just just with the accreditation story, well, that's, <laughs> that's wonderful. Really um, but it comes back to the interview is that, yeah, your CV could slap, yeah. your LinkedIn could be the Brand best, but, but if you screw up the interview, <laughs> if you just speak like yeah, a exactly. robot, yeah. Maddie, do you have anything to add? Honestly, again, so hard to follow up on Danny's great <laughs> no, answers. No, please. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear your words of wisdom too. <laughs> I think especially as an arts and social sciences student, LinkedIn is a very good resource to figure out possible pathways because throughout degrees, there are so many. There are literally Literally. so many things you could go into. Like, you're never going to know where Mm -hmm. you end up. And this was mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, but I think our degrees do a really good job of teaching us how to think critically, which is such an incredibly useful and, and like, underrated skill underrated. in the workforce. Yeah, it really is. So again, with those like more transferable skills that we learn, you never know where you're going to end up. And I think for a lot of like art students, that's what adds to the nerves of graduating and that's what adds to just the feeling yeah. of uncertainty. Uncertainty, <laughs> sorry. Because, yeah, there are so many avenues you could go down that it's yeah. overwhelming almost. So platforms like LinkedIn where, like Danny has mentioned, you can reach out and connect to alumni and sort of see the path that they went down. I find that's really useful in just helping myself gain a better understanding of where I want to go and where I could potentially go. Yeah, and also it provides a really wonderful chance for you to remember the things that you've been part of as well. Because there have been a couple of times where I've had to, you know, customize a application each time I'm doing a new one and I perhaps forget to include something that might not have been as relevant for this particular job application, but really, really important to showcase in another application. So I've actually gone back to my volunteering history and read when I was part of it and what extra information that I've put there on my profile. And it's reminded me, oh, I was part of this and that could be a really great addition to put on my application or my CV or cover letter because it relates so much more to this application compared to another one. So, of course, it's a wonderful way to reflect on what ways and what avenues you could go down, like Maddie said, but also just to reflect on the things and the amazing things that you've already done. And if you're just starting out and your LinkedIn is looking a bit bare, I don't think it should be a source of putting yourself down. I think it's really a blank canvas and your experiences and other things to add will only go up and what a great kind of digital footprint to kind of look back on all the incredible things that you've done. Yeah. I'm loving the optimism. This is so great. (laughs) We love it. You say that you're starting uh, your new position tomorrow. That's fantastic. I was just wondering about Mm. 
in the 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 meantime before you had this set up and ready to go what were you doing to to prepare yourself or make yourself more yeah. viable for graduate positions what can i say dan it was a long period of just applying to literally anything i can find <laughs> <laughs> I kept saying to my friends as I told them about this new position that oh my god it's been like 7 months. No, it's been a year of me just trying to look for anything I could get my hands on that was relevant and I applied to jobs that I felt like I was unqualified for. I even got a response once saying that the applicants were too overqualified and I was like are you kidding me like I just really I'm out here trying to get anything that will provide me some sort of extra money as I get through my final year of uni <laughs> and it was exhausting i think we underestimate how tiring putting together even one job application is and i've lost count um with how many that <laughs> i've done in the last 12 months but i think aside from just giving it a good goddamn crack i think another really important thing is to just continue having an open dialogue with people and friends about how tricky the process is and how one particular week you might be feeling particularly down about the fact that your experiences are just not going to stack up to any of the jobs that you're interested in i definitely went through that period Uh, for the longest time after coming back from exchange i felt so down about where my life was headed i had no idea what the job market was going to look like once i graduated i didn't even want to think that far to be honest because i was obviously very upset from having to come back from exchange and just get back into the routine of doing your nsw subjects remotely uh and it was a really difficult time of kind of reassuring myself and pushing myself to just keep going. But another thing that's really helped me throughout this period, I think is your attitude and knowing that your grad position that is only a temporary next step. If you don't get a grad position or a grad role, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get a grad role further down the track. You might just need to do a different kind of job for a little bit pivot maybe gain some corporate experience before moving into another field like there are so many different ways that your kind of graduate journey could turn out to be i think the whole idea of doing an internship or a summer vacay position and then getting a return offer and moving straight into full time work straight after I was going to say high school, Lamar, not high school, university, <laughs> your undergrad degree. That is just a myth. And there are people out there who <laughs> unfortunately feel like the only way to navigate through that period is to continue studying and to continue just doing something to kind of delay the process of actively seeking a, a job. And while that might be a really valuable temporary a uh, way for you to navigate that immediate uncertainty i i think the it's kind of like taking that first step it feels really really difficult and vulnerable to just say i'm actively searching for a job now but once you kind of propel yourself into that uh frame of mind you'll find yourself so much better at dealing with rejection and radio silence from recruiters so I think of course everyone goes through a really different journey. You might do extra study, you might uh, work 
continue to work your hospital job for a long time before you can find the next professional step. I don't think we should be judging anyone how they navigate through uh, that transition stage because it's going to be different for everyone. And even with me, full transparency, like I actually don't really know how next year is going to look like because this move that um, this new position will just be a temporary thing just as I'm um, waiting to hear back from another position that I've been applying for. And so even if at this point of your time, you're feeling a little bit confident about what's around the corner, you just don't know when things could change or you also don't know if you'll actually enjoy the position as well. I've spoken to so many of my friends who have recently graduated and moved into full-time work and a lot of them are really struggling with the workload and that transition into full-time work is a big deal. It's such an adjustment from being at university. So I think keeping an open mind that your dream job might actually not be what you eventually want to do. Uh, That position that you thought you really, really wanted might just not be within your immediate reach. So I think my biggest piece of advice is, uh, yeah, keep optimistic know your worth and what you truly want to do and who cares if you make a mistake like you're not choosing a role that's going to last you an entire lifetime if you change your occupation even when you're 40 you're going to work for another 35 40 years as we live longer you're just transitioning into that next step don't get disillusioned about your path just because every kid in the block seems to have a grad position that they're posting on LinkedIn saying, I'm excited to announce that I have taken a role at XYZ. Like, (laughs) you know, they might quit after six months and they might go back to the drawing board because they're in the exact same pool of people that are applying for the next grad round. Like, I think if we all just take a step back, uh, consider what a facade social media especially can be, it... I promise you, you'll feel a lot better about yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's um, a really valuable insight and in just keeping up the uh, the optimism, yeah. the, the positive attitude, because at, you're 100% right. It's a developing situation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really good. And so just some things you wish you knew before starting to look for a grad role. Uh, I would ask that, but you seem to have already covered it with just <laughs> keeping up the attitude and the perseverance. And I agree, yeah. damn, filling out a, jo- a job application is exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> it takes hours, especially if you need to customize yeah. things. So yeah, just cut yourself some slack. It's it's rough when you don't hear anything yeah, back. Yeah, everything in moderation. And you, yeah, and, and the classic, like, we had so many applicants, we can't. It can't even get back to you properly. Well, then how am I going to learn? And how am I supposed to get experience if I don't have experience? It's this hamster wheel. But just talk to, continue to talk to people, find a way to break that monotonous cycle and something will come through. And I really believe that. Maddie, do you have any questions you'd like to ask? Well, I guess a question I have for Danny is how was it that you sort of developed a clearer idea of where you wanted to take yourself after graduation? I don't know if I do have a clear idea of where I want to go, to be honest. Like, uh, I was having a meeting with my CEO and he was asking me that question, like, where do you see yourself in five, ten years? And I'm like, um, I'm not going to lie, I'm not really sure. (laughs) But I, 
I think my ants are more so constituted of the type of environment that I want to be in. And one of the things I said was, I think I really value teamwork and I really value collaboration. And it sounds cliche, but Mm -hmm. what you realize is a lot of work settings, you're doing a lot of tasks just on your own. You just so happen to be back when we weren't in lockdown, you just so happen to be in an office or sitting together, just doing your own thing. And I think I realized through reflecting that I very much enjoy that reciprocity. That's always such a hard word to say. Reciprocity, where I want to bounce ideas off people and I want to get their feedback and then we move forward together. And that's kind of what I value a lot. And I think a lot of people speak about this a lot, but knowing your values and what kind of worker you think you are and how you feel like you can bring that side of yourself in a in a work environment i think is a really wonderful way to kind of filter through what kind of landscape you want to be part of so yeah i think that right there that's actually exactly what i wanted to add just then is that something that Mm -hmm. i think flies under the radar when people are thinking about jobs uh, where they might want to apply to is they really got to think about what kind of environment they actually enjoy to operate in yeah absolutely like do you want regular hours or do you want to be earning more and pumping out at 10 p.m just grinding away at your desk i i think some people really live for that hustle (laughs) and like sure man like go for it but i know for me uh uh-uh that ain't happening to me because i know that if i am faced in a situation where somebody has asked me to work over time i'm probably gonna say yes because i know that i'm a people pleaser and i know that i want to do the absolute best and so i'm not going to be able to really stop myself from pushing myself in that way and so i want to be part of an environment where people value mental health and having a really positive work-life balance and yes that could be a privileged thing to be saying because some workplaces do require you to really kind of stick around a lot longer that's the nature of the job but i think having a clear idea that that's something you do want to be part of or you don't want to be part of should allow you to also filter through what kind of industry or job that you might yeah, look for. Yeah, these have just been some great responses. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Well, I think that brings us to the, the close of this episode and this season of careers-related episodes for Advice 2021. Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been so great. It has been (laughs) so good, yeah. And I know I definitely gained a lot from hearing what you had to say, some really valuable insights. I'm so Uh, glad. And I think the main thing I want to flag is I'm still very much on this journey. Like, I just so happened to have done the presidency role a little bit earlier in my (laughs) university journey when I was in second year but I'm still young I'm still learning and by all means I don't have it all figured out and and nothing is fixed exactly nothing's fixed and I think we're a generation of dealing with a lot of external challenges and I think the more we can be open and vulnerable about some of these struggles I think the better it will be for everyone so Hang in there, yeah. y'all. We'll be, we'll be good. We'll be okay. And to everybody listening, we hope that you found this season insightful, this episode particularly, um, as we've had a deeper look at careers and professional development, like getting your first job earlier and taking on extracurriculum for development. 
Um, this theme has been in parallel with our Careers Week and LinkedIn workshop events, which were both huge successes. So on behalf of the Art Society and the Careers and Education team, we thank you so much for coming along to these events and tuning in. Make sure to stay proactive and take care of yourself as we approach exams. Again, thanks for listening and we'll see you all next season. See you later. Bye, everyone.